This is the podcast by the Straits Times. Now time for our regular sports show called Game of Two Halves every Monday at about 5.15 where host is sports podcasters from the Straits Times. Well, I'm Bernard Lim and with me today are sports correspondents David Lee and Sazali Abdul-Aziz. Now, last Friday, Singapore's first privatised professional football club were unveiled as the Lion City Sailors announced their arrival and participation in the upcoming season of the Singapore Premier League which kicks off on February the 29th. Backed by Sea Limited, a home grown uh, internet company worth more than uh, 21 billion US dollars. The sailors are hoping to make waves, not just in Singapore, but in Asia as well. Well, David, you broke the story. What is uh, privatization? Tell us more. Okay, so as of now, most of the Singapore Premier League clubs are registered societies. So most of their funding comes from government subsidies, jackpot operations and limited sponsorship. There are also restrictions as to how they can use these monies. So privatized clubs like the Lion City Sailors However, they are, as the name suggests, private entities. So in this case, uh, the sailors are owned and controlled by Sea, which, like you say, are a company worth more than US $21 billion. So they have chosen not to take the subsidies of more than $1 million and will not operate jackpot machines that can bring in a few hundred thousands of dollars a year. So while the local league is still struggling you know, with TV revenue, gate receipts and sponsorships, if everything takes off and the sailors are able to build and capitalize on their commercial worth down the years, being a privatized club means they are free to do what they want with those profits. Mm. Well, Sazali, so let's bring you into the conversation right now. What are your thoughts on, on this news? I mean, is, is it good or bad for the, for the local football community? I'm absolutely thrilled. I think it's a huge boost, a huge encouragement for the local football scene, particularly at, uh, during this period when you know the national team have not quite done well on the international or regional stage in the last few years. Age group teams also not doing too well. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a huge shot in the arm for the sport. I was discussing with Yulin about how Singapore football could live to a higher standard to try and uh, reach its goal 2034 dream of, of playing in the World Cup. My answer in that podcast a few months ago was to say, you know, I, I would love uh, ideally a, a complete rebrand of the Singapore Premier League with corporations or, or wealthy businessmen taking over all eight or nine local clubs and sort of running them uh, as businesses, you know, because I think that that's the way forward. Obviously, that's the dream scenario. So this will have to do for now, but I still think it's a, it's a huge step forward for Singapore football. Well, David, you mentioned that they're not going to be getting subsidies. Tell us more about that one. It is also good in the sense that, you know, with the sailors not taking the subsidies, there's already a trickle-down effect as the other local senior clubs will be getting more in subsidies. There's also a possibility that, you know, this money could help increase the number of clubs in the league or increase the price money for future seasons. And on the sailors' part, with with their resources, they can hire the, the coaches necessary to simultaneously improve their senior players as well as their youth players. If they do get in and do well in AFC competitions like the uh, AFC Champions League next season, the following season, that will also help to lift Singapore football and its branding. Mm-hmm. And, and tell us, what is the sentiment like on the ground? I mean, are, are there any concerns from rival clubs or from the football fraternity? So the sailors have already sort of flexed their financial muscle a little to bring in a big-name coach in the form of former Australia captain and caretaker coach Aurelio Vitmar. They have also brought in key national players like Hassan Sani, Shadan Sulaiman, and Gabriel Quack on high salaries. So, Tampanese Rovers chairman uh, Desmond Ong, he has been the most vocal of the lot about this situation after losing his captain, Shadan, who is arguably his team's best player. He described the sailors as playing football manager with a cheat code, you know, and he's not happy with the unlevel playing field because... You know, the other clubs simply do not have the same resources to compete for signings. But having said that, I, I spoke to a former United player and coach in Philip Au and he made, I think, a very good point. He said, 
you know, if there's a race of 10 people, if nine of them are slow, you should still get the fastest guy to, to speed up so the others can catch up and, and hopefully reach his standard and not ask him to slow down. So if Form United can do well, can stretch the cash, can, can pay players more, I think by all means they should do it. And hopefully in the future through some means uh, or another, the other teams can catch up. It's like in Malaysia where Johor Darul Takzim, you know, they, when they came in, you know, they were bankrolled by the Prince and the State and they won everything for the first two seasons. They even won the AFC Cup, which is an Asian competition. But now we start to see, you know, teams like Selangor, Trangano have their own training centres and they're starting to try and, you know, close the ground and catch up and lift standards as well. So let's hope that in a few years, we can see two or three other local clubs sort of try and catch up with, with Home United and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And we hear that the FAS is also looking at the possibility of introducing a transfer fee system. Tell us more. Ideally, you know, like most major leagues, they have a transfer fee system where if a club wants to get another club's player, they have to pay some form of compensation. I'm not too sure this is good enough consolation in the local context and I can empathise with Tampanese and the chairman because the Singapore Premier League is different in the sense that they have import and under-23 quotas which means you cannot just replace a local player with an import like you can do so, for example, in the EPL. So with a talent pool as shallow as ours at the moment, it is also hard to replace a key local senior player. I mean, I I don't think there is any other local player at Shadan's level at the moment. So I can understand why Vidma wants him so much and how Desmond is so upset at losing him. Mm. What about things like heritage, uh, Sazali? Yeah, certainly that's one of the things that people have, you know, the critics have latched on early on. They said, you know, Home United are the third most successful club in the domestic league. They're the most successful club in the Singapore Cup. So they have heritage, they have a history, and, you know, they were one of the founding teams in the, in the original S-League. So the fans are saying, oh, you're wiping away this heritage and this history. But I don't know. And to me, I'm not a huge fan of the name Lion City Sailors. I think it's a bit hokey, it's a bit goofy. <laughs> but other than that, I think it's fine. You know, if you have the money to splash and to try and take Singapore football forward, I think by all means, do what you want. Change the colours, change the, the name to your liking and, and, and do a good job, hopefully. <laughs> David, you want to add? I mean, there are also other concerns like... What happens if C or their CEO, Forest Lee, gets tired of this project? You know, or what if after a few years, the sailors are still the only privatised club in the local league? But I think instead of obstacles, we, we should still see the opportunities. Uh, things have remained status quo for, for too long. This is the 25th season of the Singapore Premier League. If we hear this and that, nothing will get done. And, and perhaps this is why we, we have had to wait these 25 years for privatisation to happen. Mm-hmm. So back to the point about heritage, I think, yeah, perhaps, you know, the, the fans could have been better engaged you know, if they are the ones they want to attract to the stadium. And I think they will be looking at that better fan engagement down the road. Well, if you like the Straits Times, a game of two halves, you can listen to us live on Money FM 89.3 from about 5.15 every Monday. Or you can subscribe or to hashtag a game of two halves on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts or Spotify and like us and give us a rating as well. Now, back to the second half of our conversation with our ST Sports uh, podcaster where we continue to discuss uh, football and money. In the English Premier League champions, Manchester City have been hit with a two-year suspension for UEFA competitions last Friday after being found guilty of committing serious breaches of financial fair play to regulations by a Europe a football governing body. And they will be banned from the Champions League for and Europa League for about the next two seasons, we hear. And um, what exactly did Manchester City do to incur this ban, David? So first of all, the fair play regulations 
financial fair play regulations were established to prevent professional football clubs spending more than what they earn and in doing so getting into financial problems that might threaten their long-term survival. And according to, to UEFA, Man City overstated their sponsorship revenue in accounts submitted between 2012 and 2016. Under the fair, financial fair play rules, clubs are not supposed to receive unlimited amounts of money through inflated sponsorship deals with organisations related to the owners. But this, this seems to be what is happening with Man City, you know, as the owner Sheikh Mansour of the Abu Dhabi ruling family was reported to be funding close to 90% of the annual sponsorship of the club's jerseys, stadium and academy through his country's Etihad Airlines. Yeah, personally, I'm surprised because with such financial doping, if you will, has gone on for years, also in France with PSG and money from Qatar Sports Investments, but it shows UEFA are serious about promoting financial fair play. Mm-hmm. And uh, Suzali, very quickly, what are the repercussions of a ban like this? Well, it could be huge. It could be catastrophic even. First of all, obviously, not playing in the premier club competition in Europe would mean less in revenue, you know, which which will obviously mean less money for them, you know, coefficient points, which mean when they return to European competition for them, hopefully in three seasons' time, they might be the bottom-seeded team and it would be harder for them to get progress to the uh, further rounds, you know, best players as well because they might not be able to attract some of the best players in the world as they are capable of doing now. They might even lose some of their top players who might want to play in the Champions League and then there are even question marks over Pep Guardiola you know because mm-hmm. he's obviously a hugely ambitious manager he's won wherever he's gone and he wouldn't you know one would think he wouldn't seem to, to, to be happy to work under constraints where oh I can't play Champions League for two seasons I can't sign the best players so yeah I mean it could be it could be hugely catastrophic for them mm-hmm. Okay so that goes our final whistle for our sports discussion for the week really hope you enjoyed yourself and glad you have uh, we have all of you both on the phones today David and Sazali thank you very much guys Thanks man Great to be on That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.